Well, before we get to the sermon part of this, I need to make just a, do a couple housekeeping things with the church here today. Um, I want to start by giving you a little bit of update on our Go West campaign. Remember, we hit it hard for a couple months, and then we're giving you a little bit of break. Well, now I want to come back and share with you just a little bit of an update. Some of you are wondering, what, where, are we at, where are we at with that? First of all, let me just say thank you all for your faithful generosity. My goodness. Ended up having over $1.4 million given committed to our Go West campaign, which is phenomenal. It's moving this train right down the tracks, and so thank you for that, and, uh, um, and, and if you haven't had the opportunity to make a commitment, let me make a plug for that. You are welcome to join us, and so, but that's uh, our go, it's going great. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that is not obvious, but our construction partners, Brown Church Development Group, they are working, um, finalizing the, the design and taking care of the hundreds upon hundreds of details that have to come together for a building like this. Um, I know that uh, recently our, all of our geotech work was done out the site, all the site work is done. It's not anything that's obvious to the naked eye. But there's also engineering that's happening right now that, uh, that involves mechanical and plumbing and, and structural and things like that. So things are moving forward and I just wanted to give you that, that quick update. I also would like to ask you as a church to pray. I have a very specific prayer request to lay upon you and ask the whole church to pray about. If you've been paying attention at all, then, then you know that lumber and steel prices are insane right now. You know that? So a lot of our building is steel. And so as leaders, we want to be good stewards. We want to make wise strategic decisions. And so we're asking the church, would you pray that God would influence steel prices to come down to normal? All right. Now you probably weren't expecting that. You know, it, ha it impacts the bottom line, and we're watching that. We're, you know, we want to be, like I said, good, wise stewards. And so pray for that, please. And uh, we need those steel prices to come down to something that resembles normalcy once again. And uh, just to let you know, are we worried about it? <laughs> no, we're not worried about it. Um, the Bible tells us not to worry. Our God is so big that he knows when a little bird falls out of the tree, I guarantee you he's got his hand on steel prices worldwide. And so, no, we're not worried about it at all, not in the least, but that doesn't stop us from praying about it. And so please pray about that. Now also, one other thing, um, if you've been around New Life, for you know a couple of years that you then you know that the towards the end of the summer we have this season where we ask you to be praying intentionally about uh, the the men that will be joining our eldership in the future. Our elders work on a three-year rotation. They serve. So they serve three years and they rotate off the elder team. And so every year, we've got several elders rotating off and several elders rotating on. And uh, we're always in the process of building relationships with future leaders and, and, and praying our way through this. We always are praying about this. But this season specifically, in the life of our church, we ask you as a church family, if God has laid the name of somebody on your heart who you think would be an incredible elder that should join in this team, we want to know. We want to interact with that person. We want to start building the relationship. We want to start that process. Um, and so to let us know that, there is a form out on the welcome table just on the other side of that wall, and there's instructions on, on how to fill that form out and how to return it to us. Um, we'd love to know, and that's how you can let us know about that. Also, this week I'm gonna be putting it out an all-church letter, and we're gonna provide a link in that letter as well to the same form, just an online version of it if you'd prefer to do it online. But please be praying about that. Um, God always raises up the right guys at the right time for the perfect season, and it's just been amazing to watch how God puts that together every year, and it's the right combination of guys that God wants for that season. And so this 
this is gonna be the same way this year. So you pray about that. And uh, if you wanna make a recommendation to our elders of a certain individual, that's how you can do it, through that form. And we would love to receive that. Now, we're in the third week of our series called Questions. It is the series where you ask the questions. I'll do the best job I know how to do to answer those biblically. And the question that we're gonna be tackling today, I'm just gonna tell you, it's gonna take us a couple of weeks to really unpack it well. And when I tell you what the question is, you're probably gonna, it's gonna make sense to you why it's gonna take us more than one sermon to really dig into it. As I've been reading through all these questions every day, praying over them, something has become very obvious. In fact, it's just obvious to the naked eye as you read them that many of the questions raise concerns as it relates to Christianity and its association with intolerance and judgmentalism. What I mean is there's a lot of questions raised about, about judgmentalism and, and sharing our faith with the world and, and, and how are we gonna break through some of these walls of hostility. I'm gonna use for the next few weeks these subject headings of intolerance and judgmentalism to categorize all the questions that are related to it. Now let me share just a couple of the questions that were submitted. There are many more, but this is kind of a, gives you a flavor of the kind of questions that came in about this. Here's a question. How do I share the love of Christ with somebody without sounding judgmental? Boy, I tell you, we've all wrestled with that. I wanna communicate this well. I want it to be received the right way. Here's another question. I have a friend who is involved in a homosexual relationship. Any attempts to talk about the Lord or what the Bible says are met with accusations of being judgmental and intolerant. Here's another question. Where is the fine line between judgment and opinion? Someone very close to me is in a homosexual marriage. It's easy for me to get critical, but when I'm with them, I can't help feeling God telling me just to love them and not judge them. How do you balance loving somebody who's openly practicing sin and, and also encouraging others to do so while at the same time taking a stand against that particular sin? Why doesn't the church speak out more against alternate lifestyles? Are we afraid of sounding too judgmental or fear losing members? How do you start a spiritual conversation with an unbeliever without completely putting them off? Here's a question. I've been called a Bible-thumping wacko by people. I've tried to share the truth with. How do I not be that way? Boy, I tell you, there were a lot of questions that came in along these same lines. Some of the questions that were submitted were very personal in nature, so they're gonna remain uh, private. But there were questions that expressed this level of concern. How do I live my Christian life without compromise, yet at the same time engage a secular world that, uh, that only sees me as being judgmental and intolerant? How do I do that? I mean, how do I engage the world but not give up ground for Christ? So as I've done with all of these questions, I take all the questions and I try to funnel them into one singular question that captures the heart of them all and gives us a place to jump from as we get into this, this question. So here is the question. How do I show the love of God without turning people off by sounding judgmental or intolerant? And I would say the bulk of the questions that came in had to deal, do with that type of thinking. To begin addressing this question, we have to start with the big picture. And the big picture is not gonna be a revelation to anybody in here, but we gotta say it. The big picture is understanding that the vast majority of Americans do not view the world, they do not view the world that we live in, nor do they see how to interact with people the same way that Christians do. 
You take a Bible-believing, Christ-centered Christian, how that Christian sees the world, interacts with the world, goes about their daily lives, that is completely different than how the vast majority of Americans see the world as well. And that, like I said, is not some big revelation. It's not like the light bulb went off above any of our heads when I said that. But what I wanna point out to you is that within this difference, within the, the different way that we see the world, that there's a secular society out there and their highest value, okay? The highest value of a secular society is this right here, tolerance. I tell you, I wanna point out the highest value of a secular society is tolerance. So what in the world is tolerance? Let's define this word because how in the world are we ever going to get through the walls of hostility and, 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 and actually get to the answer side of these questions if we don't understand what the highest values are of the people that we're trying to reach? So what is tolerance? Tolerance defined as this. It is to have sympathy, understanding, and leniency for beliefs and practices that differ or conflict with our own. That's Tolerance. I sympathize with the way you see things. I, I, I have very, a lot of understanding. Uh, absolutely, of course you feel that way. There's, to, there's tolerance. Now, there is a word that's in the same family of words uh, with slightly different meaning, but the word is toleration, to tolerate. So to tolerate is not just to have sympathy or understanding, but it's to actually allow something to happen that differs from the way that you believe. Tolerance. It is a highly valued conviction. Quite frankly, for many Americans, it is the way of life. Tolerance is the way of life for a secular society. And according to that value of tolerance, then it says that we should have tolerance for all religions. We should have tolerance for all lifestyles. And there should be tolerance for, well, you name, you, name, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank, and that's what a tolerant society says you should have tolerance for. Tolerance leads to this conviction that I can believe whatever I want to believe, and that itself, my belief becomes truth in that moment. And in a tolerant society, you can say that you don't have the right to tell me what's right and wrong any more than I have the right to tell you what is right and wrong, because what is right for you could very well be right for you, but don't tell me that that's right for me. Tolerance says that you can believe and define what is right and wrong. And so there is a whole nother sermon right there. How does a society define for itself what is right and what is wrong? I would argue that no society can determine right from wrong outside of God. Tolerance lends itself to the belief that all religions can be right and true and not one religion can ever claim uh, or proclaim exclusivity of truth. See, a tolerant society would say that. Tolerance says that God can be anything that we want him to be. Tolerance says that a person can live any way that they want as long as they feel good about themselves. A tolerant society says that you have the freedom to self-identify on the outside however you feel like on the inside. A tolerant society says that it's perfectly acceptable to redefine definitions to age-old terms. A tolerant society says you can redefine marriage, you can redefine when life begins, you can redefine sexuality, and those are just to name a few things that are perfectly acceptable in a tolerant society. So a society that highly values tolerance 
views people like us with biblical values as the epitome of intolerance. Do you feel the tension? Do you see the tension? A secular society that highly values tolerance looks at the church, looks at Christians as the epitome of intolerance. And that's where much of the conflict and the tension lies when, when you're trying to share somebody the truth of the gospel, you're trying to get through to that child of yours, you're trying to get through um, to your coworkers, you're trying to get through to that family member, whatever it is, and the, what you get back is a look of exasperation and frustration, and here we go again, and if you bring up, well, you know, the Bible says, let the eye rolling start, and that's what you're, that's what you're dealing with. So how do you talk to somebody about faith and your convictions without coming across judgmental? How do you talk to that neighbor who's living the alternate lifestyle without coming across as a goody two-shoe in their eyes? We gotta remember, you're up against a highly treasured value called tolerance, which gives people today the green light to indulge in everything that their heart could ever desire. And you and your Bible and your Jesus is a threat to that. And that's what we're up against. Uh, recently I was watching a Netflix special on, ne uh, uh, on the life of Garth Brooks called The Road I'm On. Anybody seen that? No, nobody. Okay, let me take a step back. Have you ever heard of Garth Brooks before? Okay, okay, all right, let me step back in. All right, so... I'm the only one that watched documentaries on Netflix, I guess. I don't know. So uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about the life of Garth Brooks, and, um, and it's a very good documentary. And, and Garth Brooks, in that documentary, he discusses the origins and the stories behind all of his music. And I'm, full disclosure here, um, um, even though Garth Brooks is the highest-selling recording artist of all time, I don't know most of his music, okay? I'm sorry to, to break that to you. I came to the country genre late in life, okay? I didn't grow up with this country music stuff, and some of you guys did. Some of you know his music by heart, but I didn't grow up with it. So this documentary featured a lot of music that I, you know, have never heard of before. Now, obviously not Friends in Low Places and Thunder Rolls and The Dance. I think everybody kind of the general understands those songs. But I'm talking about all the other stuff. So he spends a lot of time talking about this other music that I'm unfamiliar with, and he spends a lot of time in this documentary talking about this one song. And this one song is called We Shall Be Free. Maybe you're familiar with it. A song that was written in the aftermath of the LA riots in 1992. A very controversial song back then. And in this documentary, Garth Brooks is talking about this song and he says that song is all about tolerance. And of course, I mean, a couple weeks ago when I'm watching this and I know kind of where the preaching is going and my, my radar went up, a tolerance. And I knew this was a lot of questions being asked and he says, this is my song about tolerance. And then in the documentary he says, I will live by the lyrics of this song until the day I die. So these are very important to him. Now in the song, it's a long song, but there's these three lines that Garth Brooks fo focused on in this documentary. These are the three lines of the song that he highlights. When we're free to love anyone we choose, when this world's big enough for all different views, 
When we all can worship from our own kind of pew, then we shall be free. Does this create any tension for you? Now, for the record, I like Garth Brooks, okay? I don't want to offend any Garth Brooks fans in here. I watched that three-hour documentary, and it made me want to go listen to more Garth Brooks song. And in fact, if I ever got the chance to go see Garth Brooks in concert, I would go. So the next time I got three grand laying around for a ticket, I'll go. I mean, that's how, I mean, these tickets are expensive, okay? So anyway, I'm just saying, it I, I actually made me want to listen to more music. I'm not offended by Garth Brooks. I don't dislike the guy. This doesn't have anything to do with him personally, really. It's just an example in writing, in a popular way, that captures the secular society's highest value of tolerance. And it highlights for me the tension between where I'm at as a Christian and where many of my friends are at today. Free to love anyone you choose. The world's big enough for all different views. And we can all worship from our own kind of pew. And then we shall be free. And there lies the tension. Free to love anyone we choose. But the Christian would say, but the Bible teaches that God ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman in a lifelong faithful commitment and the only appropriate environment for sexual intimacy and expression. Free to love anyone we choose? Sure, as long as we adhere to God's will and teaching found in Scripture. Do you feel the tension? World's big enough for all different views. But as a Christian, we would say, but the Bible teaches to seek first his kingdom and to seek first his righteousness, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, to have a singular view of God and the way that he wants us to live our lives and how he desires for us to interact with others. We live our lives striving every day to see everything from God's point of view. Do you feel the tension? We all can worship from our own kind of pew. But a Christian would say, but Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That there is only one way to receive forgiveness of sins and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary and his resurrection from the dead. Salvation is a free gift of God offered to every individual by God's grace. We receive it through our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you, you feel the tension captures highly, or it captures well, this highly valued conviction of tolerance. And where a, to, where a society has a high value on tolerance, we will, it will always be at odds with the good news of Jesus. So how do I share the love of God with people without turning people off or sounding judgmental or intolerant? Well, that's what the next couple sermons are gonna be all about. And I believe that God is gonna show us some tremendous things over the next few weeks. And I wanna challenge and encourage you uh, to stay with this and, 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 and go with us down this road. I think God's got some things to show our church. But with our time left today, I'd like to spend a few minutes with a passage of scripture today that a secular society that highly values tolerance, a passage of scripture that that society finds absolutely and utterly offensive. And much of the discussion 
The much of the conversation trying to engage somebody that values tolerance is gonna come down to this passage of scripture. In fact, I would say that this is the granddaddy of them all verses in the Bible as it relates to this conversation. If you wanna turn to John 14, you're more than welcome to. Um, It's gonna be on the screen behind me. But this passage right here, church, if we don't get it right here, we're not going to have a chance with anybody else. We better know what we believe. So it says this, these are Jesus' words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's verse one. You believe in God, believe also in me. My, father has, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you? And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, and here it is, tune in the spotlight to this one singular verse. Here is the tension. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There it is. That's the verse that gets a lot of people worked up. That, that's the verse where many of your friends, your coworkers, your own family members get their nose all out of whack and get offended because they accuse you. And what they're really doing is accusing Jesus of counting them out and excluding them from God's plan. John 14, 6, it is the hot button scripture, but let me ask you this question today. This is a thinking question that we need to wrestle down. When Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, was he making a statement of inclusion, or was he making a statement of exclusion? You don't need to answer. But what is Jesus saying? Is he making a statement of inclusion, showing all people the way to be saved, Or was he making a statement of exclusion? Only a selective group of people can be saved. What is it? What I'd like for us to do is take a look at this verse in context. And I think when you see this in context, you're gonna understand much fuller why Jesus said these words. And I think it's gonna position you in a way to have a better understanding, in fact, of what we're actually trying to, what Jesus was actually trying to accomplish. Um, and then you're gonna find that this is not an offensive verse. When you fully understand what Jesus is saying, I believe this is something that gets even lost people excited about what lies ahead. If you're taking notes today, this is something we need to keep very close in the forefront of our minds. We need to pay attention, very close attention, to the intention of Jesus' words. Why did he say this? What was he intending with this? Now, if you got your Bibles open, turn back one page to John chapter 13. Because it's John chapter 13 that shares with us Jesus' intention of why he said this in John 14. You can't understand John 14 without understanding John 13. And often we we fly off with John 14, 6, and we don't take into consideration all of John chapter 13. What is the context? Why did Jesus say this? Well, to understand, Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, on the night of his betrayal. He is going to the cross, and he will be dead tomorrow. 
This is the timeline when Jesus says these words. And he says these words in the upper room, spending time with his disciples. Now, if you know some of the events that happened, this is all the things that happened that night. Jesus bent down and he washed his disciples' feet. He took on the role of a servant and he washed his disciples' feet. And you might remember Peter said, you're not gonna wash my feet, Lord. No way are you gonna do that. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And Peter's like, okay, then wash all of me. <laughs> you know, oh, don't you like Peter? So he washes his feet. This is the, the, the same night that Jesus drops a bombshell on his disciples. One of you is going to betray me. And they go, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. No, uh not me, not me, not me. This is also the same night that Jesus tells them, I'm not gonna be with you any longer. I'm going away. John 13, verse 33 says, my children, I will only be with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. These guys had traveled with Jesus for several years. They'd gone everywhere with Jesus. They'd seen him do amazing things. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is, is telling them, you cannot come with me now. From this point forward, I'm going somewhere else, and you can't come with me. And, and then, right after that, he tells Peter, one of his closest friends, that Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow, <coughs> you're gonna deny that you ever even knew me. So think about it. In one evening, Jesus does the unthinkable. He washes his disciples' feet. He identifies his betrayer in Judas. He lets his disciples know, I'm not gonna be around much longer, and you can't come with me. And then finally, one of Jesus' closest friends is told that he's gonna deny Jesus before the sun comes up. There had to have been just a lot of emotion, a lot of sadness in that room. It had to just fill the room <coughs> as Jesus is sharing this with them. And so the very next thing Jesus says is what? John 14, one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus said that because that room was filled with trouble. That room was filled with anxiety. That room was filled with all kinds of emotion. They were in distress. Do not let your hearts be troubled. My oldest son, Neil, is almost 17 years old, and, and he doesn't like it when I point him out, but he's right there on the camera. Um, and right, he's running the camera right there, so that's my son, Neil. When Neil, was, um, when Neil was in the first grade, um, I was picking, up, picking him up from school. And you know when you're a parent and your first grader is walking out to the car, you can tell immediately on their face if they've had a good day or bad day. And he gets in the car and I said, Neil, how was your day? And he looks at me and he goes, worst day ever! Because I knew that was kind of coming. See, Neil, for Christmas, had received a new Star Wars Lego watch with real Lego pieces on it. And he comes out to the car, and he's, he's upset because he lost some Lego pieces, and his watch was falling apart on him. And, and, he, and it was a very traumatic thing, as it would be for anybody in the first grade who has a Lego Star Wars watch that they highly treasured. And being a father, I had a lot of perspective on this situation. I, I know what's going to happen. And I said, oh, son, don't you worry about those missing pieces on your Lego watch because, you see, when, when mom and I bought that, I mean, when Santa Claus brought that watch, <laughs> it came with a bunch of extra pieces. 
And I've got those at home, and we're gonna put that watch all back together, and it's gonna be good as new, and, and you don't even need to worry about those lost pieces because it's not gonna matter. And then all of a sudden, this great relief came over my first grade son who realized not all hope was lost. See, as a father, I had a lot of perspective. And comforting my son, who at that moment in his life had a very limited and narrow perspective. And I believe that this is the tone that Jesus takes in John 14, 1. He is like a loving father with lots of perspective talking to his children who had a very limited perspective. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be sad. Don't be upset. I got some really good news to share with you. And in the midst of all of this news, he says in verse six, I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' intention is not to say, sorry, you're out of luck. I'm the only way the Father and you're just, it's tough. No, 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 it's the exact opposite. Jesus' intention was, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be upset. Trust me, good things are gonna come from this. I've got you covered. So I'm the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. The intention is, this is really, really good news. These words were not spoken as an affront. They were spoken as an assurance. And he did not speak these words in a condemning manner. He intended them to be comforting. And I think it's so important that we as Christians today understand the intention behind Jesus' words, why he said it, because it's going to make a huge difference as we interact with people who see you as intolerant. People often take offense at Jesus' words right here in the sixth verse of chapter 14. I, I, I think more often than not, though, I think what they're offended by is how we Christians relay these words a lot of times, because they hear them coming out of our mouths in a tone and in a context that Jesus never intended. Jesus intended these words to be hopeful, not hatred. So to understand this, we gotta pay close attention to the context, understand his intention. Second thing is this, we must recognize, and I'm gonna use this word strategically and carefully, we must recognize the inclusivity of Jesus' words. We gotta recognize the inclusivity of Jesus' words. Somehow, over the years, Jesus' words of I am the way and the truth and the life have gotten all kinds of twisted up in the mouths of Christians and they've become all kinds of, of uh, twisted up in the ears of non-Christians. And often the picture that people get when we share this with them, Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, the life, don't come to the Father except through me, they see Jesus as a bouncer at some club. That's how these words are often understood. That Jesus is a bouncer. He's at the door and he's saying, nobody's getting past me. This is how the world hears this verse. Nobody's getting past me. If you don't look right, if you don't dress right, if you don't smell right, and if you don't got the proper ID on you, you ain't getting in. And that's how this verse is interpreted by a lot of people. That's how an unbelieving world likes to paint Jesus. And sometimes, and let's just be honest and transparent here, we church folk sometimes 
participate in painting that picture of Jesus too by our judgmentalism and harshness with these words. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This was Jesus comforting his disciples, his close friends who have just found out that they're not gonna be allowed to go with Jesus any further. And where he is going, they, they cannot come. And there's confusion because they don't know the way. It's not all making sense. And Jesus says, listen, I am the way. Jesus' words were meant to be comforting to his disciples and his words are not exclusive. They're actually inclusive. Jesus says, I am the way. The path to my father's house with many rooms is through me. They're not intended to keep people out. They're intended to bring everyone in. Jesus is the only way, not just for Peter, James, and John and the other disciples, but for you and for me. Jesus is the way, not just for people raised in the church, but for people who wouldn't know the difference between a baptistry and a bathtub. Jesus is the way, not only for Americans or us Westerners, but for Africans and Asians and Australians and for all of those countries that we didn't know existed before the opening ceremonies of the Olympics last week. It's for everybody. Jesus is the only way, not just for people of my race, but of all races, of every tribe, every clan, every language, every accent on earth. Jesus is the way, whether you're single, married, or divorced. Jesus is the way, whether you're an ex-con or an ex-smoker or an ex-president or ex-anything. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way for everyone, regardless of your history, whatever your baggage, whatever your economic status, whatever your IQ is, whatever, 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 whatever. Jesus is the way. It doesn't matter where you come from or where you've been, Jesus is the way. It doesn't matter what route you took to get here or how long it took you to get to this point in your life, Jesus is still the way. It doesn't matter how bad your past is, it doesn't matter how messed up you have made your present, Jesus is still the way. One of the most unnerving experiences of my entire life happened when I was 13 years old. It was the 4th of July, and our family was in St. Louis, and we were down at the Arch to, to have the fireworks display. And on that particular night, Dolly Parton was in concert underneath the Arch. I don't know how many people were there. <clears throat> Maybe 100,000, 200. It was a huge sea of people. I honestly don't know how many. It could have been a million. I, I don't know. Just as a 13-year-old, it's an endless sea of people. My brother and I, it's going to come a shock to you, at 13, and my brother's 18 months older than me. We weren't interested in listening to Dolly Parton sing. Sorry, I hope that's not offensive. Remember, I'm coming to this country thing uh, later in life, okay? So I said to my dad, hey, can we go back to the hotel? We don't wanna stay here for this. And my dad's like, sure, here's the key. Hotel is, you, know, you guys know where it's at? Oh, yeah, 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 we know where it's at. And off we go. We didn't know where the hotel was at. <laughs> we, we thought we knew, but we didn't know. And so my brother and I, we take off walking. And we go for a couple blocks, and we know oh, it's probably over here. We go a couple blocks, and now oh, let's go up here. And, 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 you know, for literally an hour, we can't find our hotel. And it's amazing, after dark at 13, how much downtown St. Louis feels like Gotham City. Okay. 
We were lost, completely lost. And we were scared. I'm not I'm afraid to admit it. We were scared. And we didn't know where to go. And finally we're like, listen, we, we gotta get back down to the arch. We gotta find our way back down there. We gotta find our family. And, and how do you find your family when there's 100,000 people down there, 200,000 people? I don't know. But we eventually, this went on for, for literally an hour and a half, this whole ordeal. We get back down and we're back in the sea of people and, and we don't know where our family is and, and they don't even know that we're looking for them. And you gotta cut me a little bit of slack because this is like today, if your 13-year-old gets lost in downtown St. Louis, they've got GPS, geo-trackers, they got a phone, they got a leash still connected to you somehow, they've got, they're attached. We didn't have any of that stuff. We had no way to locate our family. And we're walking aimlessly through thousands of people and it's dark outside and Dolly's singing in the background and we don't know where we're going and, and then it's like a miracle. It's just a miracle. I think it's a miracle. And all these people, we just bumped into our family. There you are. And our family was sitting on the curb eating ice cream. Now that didn't bother me so much. I was so glad that they were there. All of us, I can't, I can't even, exp- I don't know if you've ever been lost for a long time and then all of a sudden you, you realize that you're not lost anymore. And I remember my dad standing up from the curb and he popped the last little bit of the cone in his mouth and we told him what happened and he said, no need to worry. I know exactly how to get back to our hotel. Follow me. There's something very comforting about following somebody who knows the way. Especially when you've been lost for so long. I believe this is the message, the exact message that Jesus was sending to his friends who were in great distress and confused and feeling lost. And Jesus said, you don't know the way right now. You don't don't understand. It doesn't make sense, but don't worry. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't say, I can show you the way. He, He didn't say, I'll lead you the way. He doesn't say, I'll give you directions. I'll draw you a map. He doesn't say anything like that. He says what? I am the way. And even though these words would remain heavy on his disciples' minds and their hearts, it wouldn't be until after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, that they truly would begin the impact of what it means to follow a a Savior who is the way to the Father. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost believed and were baptized and the church was started. And, and, And that message that Jesus is the only way is still changing lives to this very day. This understanding that Jesus is not only the the way to heaven, but he is the way out of darkness and the way out of sin and the way out of emptiness. He is the way from from guilt to freedom, from, from loss to deliverance, from shame to despair. That is who Jesus is. And I look out at this room today and it is evidence of just how true this reality that Jesus is the only way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life because all of you right here have been included because of what Jesus did and what he said. But here's here's something I find very sad, and I know you will too. It is true that many, and I would say most, but I'm gonna back off and just say many. Many people today will never taste the joy of heaven. But it won't be because they were excluded It will be because they chose 
to not be included. And you know, that may not satisfy some of your biggest, biggest critics today. Those people who you love dearly, who you pray and dream about the day they would follow Jesus. That, this may not satisfy that right now, but it's the truth. Jesus was comforting his words. Jesus is not a bouncer at the door keeping people out. No, this, this is an inclusive statement. It's our decision whether we want to be included or not. This is not Jesus saying, you're out. This is Jesus saying, I want you in. But sadly, most won't take the offer. Friends, I think that's maybe a good place to press pause until next week. As we begin to unpack in a more specific way, how do we begin to break down the walls of hostility towards Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. But I wanted to start with John 14, 6, because it is the granddaddy verse of them all. And if we as a church, if you as a Christian, can't get that verse right, and you can't resolve in your heart what Jesus is saying, and make peace in your heart about Jesus' intention and his message, if, if that's unclear inside of you as a Christian, then I would say there's very little hope that you're gonna be able to influence your daughter, your son, your coworker, your friend, your neighbor for Christ if that's not resolved. So we start there and we're gonna continue to unpack it. This isn't the last time we're gonna come back to this verse because like I said, it is the tension verse with a society that highly values tolerance. So friends, let's pray together. Let's ask God to help us as we go down this road. I believe we're gonna come out the other side with a lot of insight, with a lot of encouragement, <clears throat> with a lot of drive, and I'll give you just a little peek into the future. Jesus sure seemed to find a lot of success getting through those walls of hostility. Maybe there's something we can learn from him. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, first of all, as a church here at New Life, Lord, we declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That Lord, you love the world so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. We believe it, Lord, with all of our hearts. Lord, our desire is for that understanding to permeate through our community, change lives, change family trees, change companies, change everything. But Lord, help us to be clear today. You are the way and the truth of life and your desire is that all would come in. That Lord, this is the most inclusive thing that you said. And it was not meant to, to be an affront. It was meant to be an assurance. It's not meant to be anger filled. It's meant to be joy filled. And Lord, may that come out of us as we have opportunity to share with our friends about you. That, Lord, we know much of the work of evangelism is driven along by the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we know your word says that you would give us the right words at the right time. So, Lord, help us resolve this in our hearts and our minds so that we have opportunity to be used of you to speak clearly as an ambassador for you. So, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for opening heaven's doors to everyone. And may we be a church, Lord, 
that help all who are open to the redemption of your blood, who desire to live by your values, Lord, to find forgiveness and grace through faith in the resurrection, Lord. Help us to be a church that includes all who want to come in. Lord, help us to understand. Lord, give us keen insight to do the very thing that we're asking about. How to share and show the love of God in a way that will be received and welcomed. Help us, Lord, in this. In Jesus' name, amen.